0: So we're starting a new series today, finally a series that I have some expertise on, it's called Love Handles. I can speak with authority about this, uh, it's going to be fun. So if you were to stop and think, and I don't want you to, but where you learned about love um, and, and what you've learned about love, uh, hopefully you had a good family and you learned about love there. But I think that generally, even in the best of families, we have some misunderstandings about love. And... Um, I think that there is a wonderful place to learn about love romantic love, family love, um, friendship kind of love and we 're going to talk about that over the next few weeks, but today I want to kind of do a baseline on what what really um, is important about love and 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 what we kind of need to set our sights on so Um, I think I shared this with you. A few months ago, we had a a double funeral here, and it was one of our elders. And in this case, the elder was accurate because he was uh, in his 90s, and his wife also in mid-90s. And they died within just a few weeks of each other, and so we did a double funeral. And I've known this couple for a long time, just wonderful couple. But hopefully you haven't had to go to a lot of funerals in your life, but in my line of work, I tend to go to a lot of funerals, I have anyway. And usually when people are in their 90s, the crowds are fairly small at their funeral. Because all of their peers have, you know, already passed, right? And, uh, but this, we were in a room, and it was a good-sized room, and it was packed. And I was like, this is interesting. And so as I sat there through this, uh, this service, uh, I listened to people talk about Doug and Phyllis, and, and I realized at some point in our time together that this is a, this couple were a couple who were relationally rich. Do you know what I'm saying? Even in advanced years, they still had lots of friends and family and people that loved them and cared about them. And from the stories told, it had extended for a long period of time, that kind of world. I want to suggest to you that even though our instincts tell us that getting rich financially, having acquisitions, and and all this stuff is the important thing, I just need to tell you that I believe that when you get to the end of your life, one of the major ways you're going to measure your life or people is are you relationally rich? So I want us to think about the possibility that we might, over the next however many years God gives us, have people and continue to grow in the number of people who love us and whom we love. Right? And that is the goal. I want to suggest that's how you change the world. That's how you find fulfillment. There's so many things in there. Being good at loving is a really important skill to have. And so we want to help kind of develop that over the next week. So today I want to tell you a love story. And it's not, you know, the Hallmark movie kind of love story. Speaking of which, by the way, (laughs) seriously, same story over and over again right? I think they even film it in the same location. They just take the snow out and put it back in, depending on whatever construct they're using. Is that, I'm serious, right? So I was making fun of it last night in the service, then a little girl came to me after about six years old. And she goes, I love Hallmark movies. I'm like, I'll pray for you. So anyway, um, <laughs> there is a great love story, and it actually is even better than Hallmark. <laughs> and uh, and. It's found in Luke chapter 7. If you'd like to turn there, if you have a Bible or pull up a phone app. um, And I'll try to read this without too much uh, commentary going through. But the context is this. Jesus is um, an itinerant rabbi. He's traveling around preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. We, of course, know that he was so much more than that. And a local kind of religious leader called a Pharisee. Kind of a guy who lives by the rules and very proud of living by the rules, and 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 got it kind of wired. He's kind of the head guy in the village, kind of the head religious guy, so he feels obligated. And we t- we can tell that by the way he treated Jesus to have him to a banquet, and it's as much about him showing off as it is uh, uh, him hosting a itinerant rabbi, and even even his hosting part. It's about to probably to try to to judge whether Jesus was a real deal and, and to kind of, you know, kind of put a stamp of approval or disapproval. And we are kind of led to believe there was going to be disapproval and probably already was. And so that's the context we find this. And, and in this historical account, we find this incredible juxtaposition between him, the Pharisee who thinks he's got it all together and a woman who by uh, anybody's uh, account doesn't have it all together, but she turns out, Uh, to be kind of a heroine in this story, although Jesus is the ultimate hero in this deal. So let me read that for you. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at Pharaoh, uh, Pharisee's house, at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. <clears throat> when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I love this story. I love this account because it really tells us an awful lot about God and a lot about us. I actually asked my wife this week, I'm speaking on that passage. Do I speak on that too much? Because I, this and the prodigal son are like two of my, because I so identify And um, with more than one figure, frankly, uh, at times, depending depending on when it is, I love this passage because right off the bat, we—it's not what you may think it is, or maybe it's what you think it is, and a whole lot more. Right off the bat, we realize that uh, there is this contrast between uh, between Simon and this woman, and we begin to read jesus heart we begin to understand jesus heart and what really happens but we also learn something else because at the very end we find out that this is really an instruction on how to be more loving it it really is it's the way to be more loving here's what it says therefore i tell you her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much but he who has been forgiven little loves little so i want to give you some thoughts if you want to be better at loving, you want to improve your relational world, uh, there's some things you need to do and I need to do. And it's, the first one is to humble ourselves. Here is a word you would not use about Simon the Pharisee. Humble. He was full of himself. He was, he, you know, I'm a rule keeper and I do it really well and I'm better than the rest of you and I've got it all together. But to truly love, you can't be all about yourself. If you're full of self, you have no room for anyone else. Right? If you're self-sufficient, self-absorbed. That's why we find out that narcissists can't really have relationships, because there's no room for anybody else, because it's all about them all the time. Everything that drives them is about them. And so if you're full of self, you can't allow someone else in. But here is the problem. Because we live in this this world uh, where we are taught that we are supposed to have it all together. As a matter of fact, if you um, were uh, meet people or whatever, you want them to think you have it all together. If you doubt that, just check your most recent um, social media posts. There are no posts of you without makeup, cleaning the garage in your baggy sweats. You are done up, you are ready to go. you're on vacation, you're at your best, because you want people to think that's what your life looks like. But it doesn't. We only project the highlights. Because we're about something called image, we want people to think we've got it all together. You don't go on a first date and say, I just need to tell you up front, you know, before we order our food, I am a hot mess. I am just, I am just a mess. And if you get involved with me, it's going to be messy, right? You don't do that because everything in you knows you don't do that. But here is the problem. You can't have real love based on an image, because an image is out here, but love happens in here. And so as long as I'm projecting out here, you can't love me because you're not getting here. You're only loving that, right? So we have this contrast between Simon the Pharisee, who's all about this, and this poor woman who comes in. Now, I need to tell you a little bit about this woman, all right? She's a sinner. Now, not that she, just that she sins, because she does a lot, but it's that she is in the classification of sinner. So in the Pharisee's mind, so if you've ever studied a caste system at all, you have, you know, you have the kind of the people up here or the, the priestly rank or whatever it is up here. And then you have the untouchables down here, right? You, you follow me? Well, spiritually in that society, she was an untouchable. She was a sinner probably because she was a prostitute. And so she not only did things that made her a sinner, which by the way, so did the Pharisee, but he would admit it, right? But she was also classified as a sinner, untouchable. She couldn't come to the worship stuff. She wasn't going to, to be involved in the community. She had been pushed to the edges of society. She was both one who sinned and a classification of a sinner. Is that see what I'm saying? Pharisee, sinner, right? The sinner comes walking in. Now it's not that unusual that they might come and you know, there's an important visiting rabbi in town. And so it's not unusual that everybody would crowd around to see them, kind of like a celebrities in town or whatever. And that they'd even stand around the outside of the banquet, outside the walls or whatever, and hope for and possibly get some of the leftovers or whatever. That's not unusual. But this woman came in to the deal, okay? She comes in and she goes to Jesus' feet. So they're laying reclining and she goes to Jesus' feet. Now, here's what you've got to realize. Everybody in town knows who she is. Matter of fact, some of them know better than others who she is. But they would never admit that publicly, right? And so she goes right into right into a place where she's gonna be condemned, she's gonna be rejected, she's gonna be whatever, right? She knows that. She knows that, but she believes, and here's the question: we don't know. We don't know how she knows about Jesus. Did you hear him speaking earlier in the day? Has she heard others talk about what he says? Somehow she knows about Jesus and it's already had a significant impact on her. Somehow she knows enough that she's willing to humble herself in front of everybody and try to find something, something she's been missing, some, a fresh start, a forgiveness, whatever it is that she knows she's missing, she, she believes that he might be the one and she's willing to humble herself and find it. None of us, none of us us can have a loving relationship until we humble ourselves. You go into a marriage thinking you got this wired, you are in deep doo-doo. You You go into a friendship or as a parent thinking you got this figured out, you're in trouble. Relationships are humbling because everyone's different and both people are different. So one of the things we learn is to start yourself humbled. She humbled herself unlike Simon the Pharisee. Now there's an interesting thing that happens here. She is not full of herself. She is, she is empty and, and, and bankrupt spiritually, but she does still have a will and she has decided to exercise her will in the hopes that Jesus can do something for her. How do we know that? Watch this. It happens in, um, in verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, that's an important little part of the story there. If I were watching a TV courtroom drama, I would say that goes to intent. She committed humility with forethought. (laughs) She went there with the intention of doing something. Now, we don't know how much of what she did was planned out, but there was something about what she knew of Jesus. Whether she had seen him or heard him or heard about him, she went there with this perfume for a reason. Now, you need to understand, in her line of work, um, it was probably fairly important uh, because, you know, things were unpleasant at times, probably, and a little perfume might help. The other thing is is probably her life savings. It was probably as expensive uh, as she could find, and it was probably a life savings. It was something very valuable, valuable to her but she didn't go there to buy something from Jesus. And we'll find out about that in a moment. So first of all, we come with humility in any relationship. The greatest thing about our relationship with God is that you can be humble before God and know that he loves you. And it teaches you that humility is actually an important part of relationship, of loving. And it's okay. And it's a safe place to learn that. Many relationships, we have to buck ourselves for whatever, whatever rebuff might come, whatever criticism might come. But in our relationship with Christ... We can come humbly, knowing that we will be loved. It teaches us the beginnings of how to, how to be loved and to love. The second thing is she came not only in humility, but vulnerable. Now, here's, here's where it's kind of interesting. You need to understand some cultural backgrounds here. So um, she stood behind him. She's crying because there's something about this man, unlike any other man she had known, and she had known a lot something about this man that did something inside her. Now think about what it would take for someone who's an outcast who has for uh, some significant period of time experienced the, the, the rejection, the criticism, the whispering, the talking, the gossip about her, all of it being true probably. In order to survive something like that, what would one have to do with one's heart? You would have to cover it with calluses, right? For her to cry, When's the last time this woman cried? I mean, you've just got to think about who this woman was. And now she's standing at this man. She doesn't know, but she knows something. And we don't know how she knows it, but she knows something powerful, and she's crying. And she begins to wash, cry on his feet, and she takes her hair down. Now, here's something you need to know. It sounds weird to us, but if you were to go to, you'd be the guest of honor at somebody's house on that day, what should have happened, and she knew what should have happened, but didn't happen because Simon was full of himself and not really interested in what Jesus was going to teach him. Um, There should have been um, water, at least for him to wash his feet, because, well, obvious, sandals, donkeys, streets, open sewage. Practical, right? We're all going to be together, have lunch. Please wash your feet. I'll wash mine. No water. Um, the, the, um, The kiss. You ever meet somebody from France or Southern Europe and they kiss you on both cheeks, right? It was, just, it was just a greeting, like me coming to your house and not shaking your hand or giving you a hug, right? And me, you know, Just walking in, you just kind of walking away. So it was just, a, it, and then uh, anointing like the head with, with oil, which is, you know, like essential oils take away the headache. I have no idea what the oil thing was about. It was just a cultural thing. <laughs> just want to see if you'd buy it. And you did. That was good. Um, none of these things happened. And this woman saw it and she stepped up and she did all three things. There was no water, but she was crying. And so it fell on his feet. And so she began to take her hair and to wipe it up, right? And she, she kissed, she didn't feel worthy to kiss him on the cheeks. She kissed his feet, but she kissed him. She was doing, and she used her perfume on his feet. She was doing all the things that should have properly been done for him as a guest of honor, because she alone was interested in who he really was. She alone was open to that. She alone was, was willing to humble herself. Now, here's what's really interesting. That second one is a big deal. First of all, that she would break out of the crowd and break into this august group of important people in town was a problem. And, and the Pharisee notices it in a moment, kind of, you know, he's waiting to see what Jesus is going to do. But before that happens, something something shocking happens. She not only breaks through and she goes to his feet, but she does something else. You ever heard the phrase, uh, take shoes off, make stuff at home? You ever heard that phrase? No? It's kind of a hillbilly phrase where I come from. How about let your hair down? Hey, let your hair down. It's Friday night. Right? It's a phrase. She let her hair down. It didn't mean the same thing that then it did. Our phrase comes from the 1600s in which you meant let your hair down It's going kind to of get a little wild, get a little raucous. That's kind of where the origins was. In her day, there was only one place to let your hair down if you're a woman. It was in the bedroom with your husband. Hers was in the bedroom, but not so much with her husband. That was the symbol of letting your hair down. It was shocking. It was improper. It was way out of line. But here's an amazing thing about this woman. There was something about Jesus that she knew, she perceived that something important could happen if she would humble herself and be vulnerable. And so here she is in front of all these people. They all know the truth about her. She doesn't know if Jesus does or not, but they all know the truth. And so she just does what she does. She takes her hair down. You all know it. I know it. I want him to know it. This is the truth about me. What an amazing thing. You see, one of the things that gets inculcated with us with this whole image thing that I talked about is hiding. We become very good at hiding. And when you hide, you don't find love. When you hide the truth about yourself, you don't find love. I have, back in the day, um, we were a smaller church and there were no other options. I had to do counseling occasionally. I am not a good counselor. And um, people would come to me, they never came back, but they would come once and, and a part of why I'm not a good counselor is we'd be sitting there and I'd be talking to a couple, sometimes young, sometimes older. And, and they'd be telling me why the other one's was such a jerk. And, and, um, and at some point, and it was usually the male that I wanted to do this to, I wanted to grab him by the throat, which is why I'm not a good counselor and say, what is wrong with you? Who do you think you're fooling? You're not fooling me. You're not fooling her. And I hope you're not fooling yourself. And unless you get real with this thing, your marriage is not going to survive. And you are not going to survive. That's why they didn't come back a second time. <laughs> what's interesting about that is that so many of us do that with God. Like Adam and Eve, we want to hide as if God doesn't know what's really going on. Again, the reason Christianity, having a relationship with Christ, is such a great foundation for our relational world is because we got to come in front of Him every day in prayer and admit the truth about us and stop hiding, Right? And then when I stop hiding from God, I can stop hiding from you because I already know he loves me and you're going to have to deal with it. You choose to love me or not, but he loves me and I'm going to tell the truth about me. Can I share something that's not in my notes that'll probably get me in trouble? (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but not all churches run relationally smooth all the time. Did I say that diplomatically? And you know what's interesting over the years, especially when we were smaller and I've been doing this a really long time now is that when there was some conflict, sometimes that the pastor might become the target of that because he's kind of the authority figure in the local congregation. I mean, in other churches, not ours so much, but. (laughs) And I remember when I was young in ministry and I would just go running over there and try to fix it. What did I do? How can I fix it? What do I need to do? And you know when I discovered it, and by the way, daily, before God, God, Created me a clean heart, show me my wicked ways. And to people I'm accountable to, elders and friends, show me, tell me, my family, tell me I want to know, I want to learn. But in those situations, you know what I found more often than not? Was that person was hiding from something inside themselves. And I became a target because they wouldn't deal with their crud. I'm not saying it happened every time, it was only like 95%. <laughs> it's true in my marriage, too, by the way. That woman needs to get it together. But anyway. <laughs> I think we all know who's the problem in that deal, right? <laughs> okay, no hiding from that. So here is, here, is the, here is the deal. The deal is that she wasn't hiding who she was. She comes and she lets her hair down. <gasps> but Jesus knew. Jesus wasn't offended. He wasn't freaked out. It's only when we get truthful about ourselves that God can bring healing and restoration and love can penetrate the deepest part. If you're going to love, you've got to be humble, you got to be vulnerable, you got to be willing to risk. You can't love like this. What a great image, your body saying this and your mouth saying, oh, I love you. No, you don't. You're sitting with your arms crossed. Love is this. Love is not this ever, right? And so she says, this is me. What a powerful thing. And, and there was something in her, in her calloused heart, somehow, whatever she knew of Jesus had pierced calcified thing that was her, her center of her emotions and had begun to glow just a little bit with hope, just enough that she had the courage, the hope that she could come and that she could be vulnerable. She could be self-revealing in hopes that something powerful would happen. It's an interesting thing. I I was reading C.S. Lewis and and his book, uh, The Four Loves, and um, in the and we're going to talk about those over the next few weeks. But in his introduction, he, he, it's, and this, I hope you can hang with me on this because it's really cool in my head. I hope I can get it out. Um, but he talks about um, that, that there are different kinds of loves and that he wanted to write a book about, about the higher love. And uh, there's actually three, but primarily two. The higher love and, and as contrasted to the lower love. And that the higher love was a better kind of love and the lower love is a lesser love. But then he realized that might not be true. So what brought her to Jesus was a a need love. And that's what C.S. Lewis calls a need love. In other words, oftentimes we love someone because we need something from them, right? So in, in 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 my prayer time, I have for years had to struggle with beginning my prayer with God and what God is, because I want to get to the need part. You know what I'm saying? I want to start my prayer. as I'm feeling lousy today because this person did this and you need to strike them down. Okay, I wouldn't really pray that, but I'm, I'm tempted to, right? So I want to get to that second section of my need stuff, but I've learned that praising God helps put the need stuff in the right perspective, right? And so I really struggle in that first section of my prayer time to praise God for who he is, God, I praise you not for what you do for me or what I need from you, but because you are all powerful. You are all loving. Because you have created the universe and it's incredible. And I want to stay there, and that feels like a higher kind of love, right? And it kind of is. And then I get to the Lord. Now I need you to, you know, step in, and I'm just really struggling. What's interesting is I've, like C.S. Lewis, I have long discounted this part of my love relationship with God as being inferior. But think about it this way. If a child falls down and skins their knee, who do they run to? Mommy. Why? Because they need mommy love. Is mommy going to fix the knee? Nah, she'll put a Band-Aid on it. It's not going to fix it. It'll make the kid feel better, right? But that need love is completely appropriate, is it not? If I am struggling and I have a friend who I know has experience in this and has gifts of compassion and I go to that person, I have a need love in that moment. Is it inappropriate to go to that person? Not at all here's what we have to come to, is that we are needy creatures. To to steal a phrase, we are needy by nature. Anybody? Anybody? No. Okay. Um, So here's what C.S. Lewis came to, and it's a powerful thing, is to acknowledge that I have need is not unloving. It is a part of love. This woman came to Jesus because she needed forgiveness and a fresh start. I was talking to my wife about this week and I have to acknowledge a part of why I love my wife is I need her. Now I have long wanted to love her just for who she is and I think over the years I am loving her more and more just for who she is and that I want her to have a good life and all those kinds of things. But let's be honest, there's still a part of me that loves her because I need things from her. I need affirmation. I need encouragement. I need resp- I need things. And What a powerful thing to realize that we will always need. There will never be a time in our life when we don't at least in part love because of need. There's only one who loves without need, and that is God. We're going to talk about that specific, unique kind of love in a couple weeks. But here's the question. If all we ever do is have a a, a need kind of love, and it never progresses beyond that, then it is nothing but selfishness, right? Right? And it becomes codependent because I'm trying to draw things out of you that you can't give me. But as I grow in this need love, whatever percentage is need, and I begin to grow in that love, the percentages begin to change. I think the need love percentage is smaller in my marriage now than it was 37 years ago. And the, and the other kind of love we'll talk about in a moment is bigger. And in my relationship with God, I still need God. There'll never be a day on this earth where I don't need God. The minute I think I don't need God, I am Simon the Pharisee you follow me? Are you with me? You okay? You got me? But as I grow in love, I begin to expand up here in this, well, this other thing is called, uh, C.S. Lewis calls it gift love, where I love this person in a way that I want to give. I want to gift them love because I love them. Not because I'm going to get something out of it. I still have need, but that's not the primary focus. That is a secondary focus. I now love because I want to give. Now, here's an amazing thing, and I don't have time to really flesh this out the best way, but I want you to just watch what happened in this story. When she comes to Jesus and she washes his feet and she kisses his feet and she anoints it with oil, she is not there because of her need somehow her need has already been met. Her need for forgiveness, her need for hope, all that stuff has already been met. She is coming back to give out of a giftedness, a a gift love. Do you follow me? Watch this. Uh, We'll read it in Scripture, and and hopefully it'll become more clear. Um, I'm reading through a passage here. So here's in verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown he didn't say her sins are forgiven because she she loves greatly. No, no. The love is the response to the need being met. We know that her need has been met because of her great love. Do you see what I'm saying? The order matters. So there's both. She loves him because she had a need, but she loves him because he met the need. And that both will continue on going forward. Um, And he says, and then he goes on, as her great love is shown But whoever's been forgiven loves little. By the way, he wasn't saying that Simon didn't need to be forgiven. He was saying Simon wouldn't be forgiven because he wouldn't ask for it because he didn't think he needed it. And so what he's saying is if you humbly come before God and you receive forgiveness, you have this increased capacity and skill of loving, both because you have a need love and you acknowledge that. By the way, for guys to acknowledge that we need in a love context is almost impossible. It is almost Women just understand that. You guys, you know, you, you, you watch your movies and you come back and you do it right. But we don't watch those movies. So we <laughs> have a really hard time acknowledging that we need in a loving relationship. But when she went to Jesus and she took her need, he met her need. And now the love is being, is a give kind of love. It's a gift kind of love. And then he, he goes on with this. And he says, and by the way, it wasn't her love that saved her. It was her believing in Jesus. It says this. He says, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith, not your love, not your gift, your faith, believing in me. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. The outcome of loving on a need level, on a gift level, is because you believe in that person, believe in Jesus, is peace. Do you see see that? Now that works? In my brain, this is really cool. I don't know if you're into it or not, but the outcome of love is supposed to be peace. And the way we learn to love, yeah, I like that. I want to finish with this it is very difficult to love if you've never been loved. But the greater you've been loved, the better your love is. And that's what's so powerful about our relationship with Christ. I came across the story of a young man's testimony this week, and and um, he sounds very much like the woman in, in, the, in the story we just read in Scripture. He was a very bright young man, high school, but got into drugs, became an addict, got into the occult, a lot of crazy things. One night, he, on a Sunday night, somebody invited him to church a few weeks earlier. He had gone and And on a Sunday night, he came home. He'd been high on meth and he's starting to come off his high, and he's all alone. He's laying in bed, and he describes the situation. He says, My mind raced, thinking about who God was and what the truth could be. I remember the warm tears falling down my face. Crying wasn't something I did. It was almost as if the sky opened up, and for the first time in my life, I sensed real and pure love. I felt like God Himself had come into my room. I remember saying out loud, Jesus, you are who you say you are. and it didn't seem like he was angry with me, or ashamed of who I'd become, or appalled at my choices. Deep inside, I believed he loved me the way I was. You can't love until you've been loved. If you want to really improve your relational world, get loved by God, because that kind of love is the most transformative kind of love you can experience because it's the purest love, because it's without need love. It is purely gift love. We're going to talk more about it in the weeks to come, but if you want to improve your relational world, start with Jesus. If you never come to believe in Jesus, that's where you start, just like that young man did, just like that woman did, just like I did and so many sitting around you. And maybe you came to Jesus at some point, but you've kind of lost, kind of a little more like Simon, you kind of lost your perspective on your need for that love and wanting to give back to him. And you need to revisit that. If we want to improve our relationships, it starts with Jesus. Wherever you are, it starts there. I encourage you to look at that this week. Think about that. Talk to him. Commit your life to him and begin to be loved in a fresh way. Let's pray. Thanks for loving us, Lord. Man, I don't deserve your love. I know that. I'm just so glad that you love, period. That's just what you do. And and I'm so grateful that Your love for me is not dependent upon my behavior or my merit because that would be a roller coaster because I have some good days and I have some not so good days and you're always loving. Lord, teach us how to love. Teach us how to love by experiencing your love, by interacting with you, by reading your word and by following you and teach us how to improve our relational world. Teach us the importance and help us to value a relationally rich life starting with you. Lord God, we need you. We need your help. We need your love. We need your word. And we need each other. Teach us to be the kind of people that know how to love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.